0: We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today, joining us is Troy Prince, who's the founder and CEO at Wall Street Bound Inc. Let's jump in and get to know Troy. Troy, welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're thrilled. And uh, we can't wait to, to share a little bit of time and, and get to know you a little bit today. Troy, for our listeners who may not know you, can you tell us a little bit about you? Where were you born and raised? And tell us a little bit about your family. Born in New York City,
1: raised in the Bronx, second generation West Indian. Yeah, I'm a
0: Bronx kid by way of the West Indies. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about growing up in the Bronx with the family from the West Indies. How did that impact you sort of culturally and your identity and who you are today?
1: Yeah, that's interesting, man. So I'm 49. So I grew up in that era of, you know, the Bronx is burning, you know, escape from Fort Apache, you know, Kurt Russell. And I would say I grew up near Yankee Stadium, which wasn't as bad as it could be a 10 minute walk in any direction. But it's interesting to have grown up in that period. You know, it's it's real, man. You know, it's real. You know, the last Caucasian lady in our neighborhood left over from that, you know, white flight into the 70s, you know, God rest her soul, was pushed out of the third floor window in my building. You know, it's the realness. But at the same time, being West Indian, you know, we know a thing or two about the switch. My mother's a teacher. My father, one of the most brilliant people, you know, I know. And so within that, we absolutely grew up in our own cocoon. And it was never a case of, you know, going to college or not. It was always where. And so that West Indian thing that people sort of tangentially know about or hear about or smile about in terms of the discipline, that family, that thing, that old school, just they don't play around. That was absolutely there. And so amidst all of the craziness outside, you know, we did have this space at home where the expectations were always clear and set. I mean, think about it. My my name is Troy Alexander Prince. Like I, I, I never have even had really a chance.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, Troy, I got to ask you a question. You say West Indies, right? But that could be as far North as Jamaica or as far South as Guyana. So you got to narrow it down for us.
1: Oh, I love <laughs> it. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, man, actually. So I'm like, you know, I cover, I'm the United Nations of the West Indies. So my, my father is half Jamaican, half St. Lucian, and my mother's from St. Thomas. But I mostly identify with St. Thomas because that's where I spend my summers. Mm. That's where the family I know is and just all the years that I spent on the islands. So culturally, clearly West Indian. But from what I really know, and identify with, it would be narrowed down to St. Thomas largely or
0: the U.S. Virgin Islands. What was that like spending time there? You said you you spent summertime and things like that. Yeah, man. You know, I would say this, you know, putting us in a
1: pool of of the African descendants and, you know, somewhat differently, you know, from our African-American brothers, sisters, and just the family, the diaspora, you know, there is something to say from growing up with some more tangible connection to where I come from. And that was always there in terms of a a recognition, you know, something else that we identify with be beyond the legacy of slavery. And at the same time, you know, my mother came to the States when she was 18 after high school. And it was always very clear to us the differences in attitude of race that my two parents had. My My dad is first generation. He grew up in the Bronx. And so, my mother, for example, where all she ever knew was a black power structure the principal, the teachers, the police, the judge, the governor, senators. Mm -hmm. So, it's not the same mindset in terms of how she or others might deal with interactions with corporate Caucasian America, with power. And it's a, a certain level of, I dare say, not fearlessness, but certainly something different because to her, it's, you know, obviously it just has a different effect when you grow up and all you know is that and so their interactions are completely different and I was very apparent in my household growing up and that certainly influenced sort of you know, the man I became and my thoughts on things in terms of that connectivity, what it means to have actual cultural roots because you know, when you think about it, I don't want to go off topic but, you know there's no country or area on earth that's been colonized that's doing well and
0: I'll just leave that there for the moment. Fascinating. I want to explore some of that a little bit later. But you have a tremendous, tremendous background working for some of the greatest companies in the country. And I want to ask you about how you got started, how you ended up going to where you went to for for school, and then also how you started your career path.
1: Right on. So yeah, again, my mother, uh, a teacher, ended up going to high school at Bronx Science which for your listeners that are not from New York or the area is one of our specialized high schools. Basically, it's one of the top public high schools in the country. At that time, it was, yeah, number one, number two. So being exposed to, you know, I I did go, had some private schooling before that. My parents sacrificed. And so, yeah, you go to a specialized school and, you know, surprise, surprise, you know, versus everywhere else, you know, you do get exposure to the stock market. And so I think it was social studies, maybe sophomore year, pick a stock, whoever's stock performs the best at the end of the year gets five extra points in their grades. I picked, uh, I want to say Johnny John, Johnson & Johnson. You know, I, Listen, I wish I could say it was like, I did my, by 15, I was doing deep fundamental research, but certainly not. <laughs> I probably just liked the letters or something. <laughs> but lo and behold, I did get that extra five points. I was like, wow, that's extra cool. But something, I don't know, just something clicked. And around this same time, a book was written by an author, Jack Schwager, Market Wizards. Market Wizards was a book that this author interviewed some of the world's best top investors the world's ever known and just brought their stories to the world. And I read that book and immediately I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life. And so subsequently graduated high school at 16, NYU Stern within a year as a
2: Shearson Lima's Brothers cold calling. And that's, it's been a straight line since then. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, tell us about uh, Wall Street Bound Inc. So
1: Wall Street Bound. Yeah, so fast forward 20 some odd years on Wall Street, always what's called the front office, either client or investment facing, which means, you know, that's where the money's at. I was always... Trading, I just—it was always trading for me. So always on the trading floors, on the trading desk, and except for my first shop, Solomon Brothers, the Goldman Sachs of its day, I only—that's the only experience I had where someone on the desk, on the team, in the room was black. Mm. To this day, this was nineteen ninety four to six. To this day, we're still friends because that experience was just like, you know, so rare and odd. But I never could quite understand why. You know, I'm an okay, smart guy, maybe. But I know it's not the point where it's some like, you know, statistically abnormal right tail such that, okay, it makes sense why I'm always the one in the room. You know, I'm the eldest of five kids. All of us have degrees. One of my sisters, double degrees from, in psychology from Columbia. Kids in my congregation growing up. You know, the one place I could go to the neighborhood was the tennis courts. You know, we know that. Talent and IQ are equally distributed. Like, they're out there. We all have them cousins, nieces, siblings, et cetera. And so it just always bugged me as to why. Like at some point early in my life, it felt special, but at some point it was like, no, it, this, it's, it's ridiculous. So let's see. I've had this idea for 15, 17 years, but you know, I moved around the world, did a bunch of things. My last stop was Vietnam. I lived in Vietnam for five years and I would come home a week out of the year during the US Open. And I come home and the kids are still dancing for quarters on the trains. And I'm just like, you know, we can do better than this. And it's, there's a disconnect. You know, thinking back to the original idea, Yankee Stadium, 161st Street, is a 40 minute ride or less from Wall Street. And how is it that 12 miles I think it's actually 12.2 from the greatest economic engine on earth can be, can exist the poorest congressional district in all of America where I grew up in. How is this possible in America? And so two years ago, when I moved back home, I said, Troy, you're 40, um, 40 static. <laughs> what are you waiting for? If not now, when? And so I launched, uh, you know, walked into a classroom, invited to a predominantly black institution, one of the campuses at CUNY, City University of New York, largest public school system in America. And on summer June 19, Crown Heights section of Brooklyn put together curriculum with a professor sanctioned by the Dean of Business School. Did not expect to get paid, was not thinking that I needed to. Uh, have already jobs and things lined up. I just want to get in front of the classroom, getting from these young people and start delivering this information. That's how it started.
2: Awesome. What's been your experience since you've started mm. the company? Would love to hear. Oh, sort of, boy. Sort of, yeah. We'd love to hear that interaction with, mm. uh, with the people you're teaching.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you mean particularly with the
2: students or just in general? Students and then in general. I'm not going to let you get away without answering both.
1: (laughs) So students are hungry, you know, and I've been blessed to sort of recognize that, A, this is not just some crazy idea that I had in my mind. You know, certain stats put the number of out of school, out of work, young people, youth in America at 5 million, and they're hungry. And these young people, by virtue of even being in college, they're already somewhat ahead of the game. Mm. But we already we know that on average, I think it's only 26% across the country that graduate. In New York, it's barely over 20%. That's when you include six years and two-year degrees. So just by being there, they're somewhat ahead of the game. But the idea is to meet them where they are. And to the degree that our young people, the majority of them, are not going to HBCUs, Ivy Leagues, branded schools, they don't even realize that they don't have a shot to have those conversations with the recruiters at Wall Street. It just, you know, having a resume, putting it on a monster.com, good luck. And so they are hungry. You know, once they have some insight as to, okay, education's is clear the way. How do I build connectivity with anything that gets me closer in terms of either the technical knowledge, the social capital, to know when, where, how a Goldman Sachs interview is, And that largely stems also from leadership at some of the schools that recognize, listen, our kids, we know they need some other training and or grassroots help to put them in the position to even get to the door, much less compete. So the feedback has been very encouraging to make me realize I'm absolutely on the right path here. Otherwise, it's the other side of the ledger in terms of the org, support, corporate America that, you know, as our senior Hall used to say, things that make me go, hmm. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I appreciate that, Troy, that that level of insights. Now, as a black man starting a company like the one that you just started, not just started, but are running and your goal of educating kids that are coming up, I'm curious to know and understand what hurdles have you run into? What challenges have you faced as you try to as you try to grow the business? So let's just
1: say You know, I read one or two books, did a lot of Googling, spoke to some other orgs. So initially, Wall Street Bound was not launched to necessarily be a standalone org Mm -hmm. because my mind says I have a curriculum that I want to teach, I have a specific focus on front office. And it didn't occur to me that it did not exist. And so to the degree that there are a few, very few similar nonprofits that are in the space, I approached them and said, hey. I want to insert this as a as a new vertical. So, Wall Street Bound as an org was born because it did not exist. You know, other orgs have a different recruiting pipeline focus. You know, in terms of the requirements, GPA, SAT scores, brand of school, etc. One of the major orgs that's that's well known out there. I approached. They have a great brand, very accepted by Wall Street, but they said, we only consider new curriculum when it's demanded from our clients. And I'm thinking, since when are dudes driving in, or dudettes driving in from the Hamptons and saying, I want to sit next to Tyrone today? That ain't going to happen. And so Wall Street Bound was born. And once that became apparent, you know, fast forward a month or two, playing with pitch deck material, the first version of my decks was... Income and wealth inequality, educational opportunity inequality, wealth gap. And that went nowhere. And then I'm like, what is going on here? Wall Street always talks about diversity and they have all this money. They want to help. And then I got a whisper in my ear from some of these other orgs and their models of, oh, what the game is if I can recruit train and help Wall Street find black and brown talent for cheaper than they can, then the phone starts to ring. And so it's been a gut check in terms of what is truly philanthropy. What does that mean? And then how does that align or not with either, you know, that two sides of me now, the West Indian immigrant second gen from the Bronx and also running the CEO of a nonprofit organization. And how do I make sure I stay true to the mission, but at the same time, make sure the, the org has the resources it needs to do the work? And so it's been interesting, man. You know, I had great conversations leading up to COVID. We love the work. We love what you're doing. COVID hit. Suddenly the phone stopped ringing. And I'm like, you know, I thought you loved what we were doing. So it's been a journey, but it's all a matter of staying true to the mission, recognizing, you know, what I'm able to do. And just at the same time, just meeting everyone, whether it's Wall Street, whether it's hiring managers, whether it's students, just meeting people where they are. No judgment. It is what it is. This is what I choose to do. This is what I want to focus on. So that's on me to just take all that and transmute it into positive direction.
0: That's awesome. I want to ask you a little bit about you know, some thoughts that are deeply profound. And I want to read them to you real quick. I think they're real, they're real, real smart. We don't grow up with uncles, fathers, brothers who play golf with MDs or run desks. And Wall Street on its own is incapable of recruiting and training urban talent. So, true. what are some creative ways that you think the industry can change and, and start to, to change that on top of what you just shared?
1: I would say, I'm going to watch my words here. You know, I think first we have to have the honest discussion, or just the—I'll throw it out there. You know, the context is that there is the assumption that Wall Street can or ever will change, and I'll—I'll leave that there. I won't make a judgment per se. Mm -hmm. You know, Wall Street looks the same as it has for 200 years, within the present moment, within the willingness, however real or not, and for our white allies. Within the context of that not ecosystem, that level of constituency, let's just say that, you know, as I've heard it said, diversity and inclusion is the one area of corporate America that corporate America is allowed to fail. Yeah. You know, that's interesting to me. And so I bet you if CEO pay was more aligned with the DNI, that would change tomorrow. I bet you if HR departments and hiring managers were more open to the idea of blind resumes, things would change tomorrow. I bet you if we used more cognitive behavioral assessment in the recruiting process, that would change tomorrow. You know, I think it's the Bureau of Labor Statistics that did a study already probably 30 years ago. Actually, no, there were two. The BLS study proved that algorithms can pick or guess Employee suitability and performance better than humans. Why? It's obvious. You know, bias, subjective, et cetera. The Fed did a study a few years ago. And I forget the exact title, but it's something like, will Laquan have the same opportunity as Brandon? And what they did was take two similar, no, exact same resumes, switch the names and the addresses, and measure the results. And you and I, we, you know, we know what that looked like. And so mm-hmm. listen, on one level, yes, I'm hopeful on another level, you know, we put man on the moon 40, 50 years ago. And I'll just leave it there. And I'll just say again, I'm focused on what I can do. And to the degree that we do have advocacy, I'm hopeful, you know, I'm grateful, but overall, we know what the underlying issue is, and that's 400 years of non-discussion of it. So again, I, I won't go on that tangent today.
0: Roy, thank you very much for that. And you mentioned allies. and I want to ask you about, let's just say folks who have helped you along the way. A lot of times in our, our career and our lives, there's people that, that help us along the way. Can you talk to us a little bit about who some of those folks are? They don't have to be necessarily mentors, but just, just people that have been influential and helped you in a way.
1: Yeah, you know, again, you know, Wall Street and society as a whole, there are absolutely some some kind-hearted, generous souls out there that just truly do, for whatever reason, based on their Christian values, based on a sense of fairness, equity, or their experience, have given up time, donation, opened their doors internships, et cetera. It does exist regardless of obviously race, creed, sex, and anything else. And so, you know, that's what gives me hope. Our donor base, you know, you might be a little bit surprised. It's, it's not 90% black or brown per se. My connectivity with Wall Street clearly is, it's varied and interesting, but there are some folks out there, and I'd, I'd rather not name names per se But I think it goes back to what our our, our parents or grandparents teach us. You can never judge a book by the cover. I've been pleasantly surprised. Somebody reached out to me recently, you know, A Night of Columbus. (laughs) I didn't see that one coming. Mm -hmm. So I'll just say that, you know, I'm grateful wherever it is. It's been wide and varied, whether it's the industry, academia, or just folks out there who hear the story. And it's absolutely been worldwide. I get inbound email from students and supporters literally all over the planet. At the end of the day, it's not really about black or brown per se. It's about opportunity and some sense of fairness and how that may or may not equate in people's minds with social justice, economic justice. And that's something that we can all relate to. And so that message does at times resonate beyond just our our community per se.
2: Awesome. Thank you for that. And that perfect lead into my next question, which is, what does the next nine to 12 months look like for the business?
1: Wow. We're going to have a bang up 21. Expanding into high school this year, expanding the scope and reach of our programming, taking our mentoring digital. We'll have a mentoring platform where we'll be able to go beyond geography, capacity up to 10,000 to connect black and brown professionals, a community amongst themselves, mm. and then with students in their locale, launch of at least two new programs and partnerships, uh, our Street Bound Academy, our school will go online this year, launching a few new interesting ideas along the lines of taking this training, but having it applied in our neighborhoods, because ultimately, I don't want to just be a source of employees, black and brown employees forever. What about training them to be investors, business owners, employee creators? And so how do we get those skills back deployed uptown? We'll be leaning into that this year. High school, mentoring. Yeah, twenty-one will be a big year. Definitely we'll have you know more staff to do that. So yeah, I'm blessed that twenty as crazy as it was. And I would say, you know, largely on on, on the neck of Brother George, we've been beneficiaries that such that, uh, you know, we do have the resources now to begin even thinking about much less being in a position position to start
2: executing at scale. Mm. Love it. Love it. What advice would you give to that college student right now that is maybe finishing up school, going to enter the workforce soon and is looking to start a, a career in finance? Call me. (laughs) love it love it there you go there you go all right one fun question i love asking every guest that we have on the podcast which is give me the top three apps that you use on your phone on a regular basis you can't name email calendar or text messaging
1: (laughs) apps okay i'm not really an app guy but i guess what i do of what i have does the g suite count Yep. <laughs> okay, I'm on G Suite all the time. There you go. Epson Print. There so I can go. print from my phone. It's like the greatest things in sliced bread for me. Third. I'm sorry, man. I'm going to be boring, but I got to say just Google Maps.
0: It's okay. All good. Real. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. Well, Troy, thanks so much for spending some time with us. And often our audience likes to stay in touch. What are some ways that our listeners can follow you and, and reach out?
1: Absolutely. Please come visit us at the website. That's www.wallstreetbound. One word, wallstreetbound.org. Feel free to, if it's a general question, we have a contact us page. So feel free to fill out the uh, intake form. You'll hear back from us. If it's a specific question around partnership, support, mentoring, feel free to hit me up directly at troy at wallstreetbound.org. And you'll be sure to hear back from me. I'm not as fast as i would always like to be, but with specific questions, thoughts, concerns, definitely hit me up directly. Otherwise, please go to our website and absolutely hit that contact form up and we'll definitely, you'll be hearing from us shortly.
0: Troy Prince, thanks for joining us again. And thank you for listening to another episode. If you want to find more episodes, you can actually find us where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcasts and look for the logo. Thanks again. Thank you.